Do you have an ongoing sense of Jesus' presence in your life? Do you even believe that's possible? Am I crazy for suggesting that we can live with a sense of connection to the divine? Hey friends, I'm Mark Alanshelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about learning how to live life with Jesus. This is episode 19, How Abiding is Possible. Now, before today's topic, I want to remind you that I'm coming to Vancouver, Washington in just a little more than a month. I'm collaborating with a trauma therapist who's a great friend, and we're creating this live event called the Untangled Heart Workshop. It's a one-day event that will change the way that you relate to your emotions and the emotions of the people around you, the people in your life. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by your emotions? Sometimes maybe like you're put in an out-of-control place because of emotional reactions? Or maybe you're in the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe you feel numb and disconnected and confused about why people are so often emotional. Or maybe even more likely, you've got someone in your life that's in this kind of a place and you're trying to understand them. You want to love them well. Well, this one-day workshop will give you practical, usable tools that you can walk out and use that very day. If you've read The Wisdom of Your Heart, this workshop is a natural follow-up to that book. And if you're just starting to think about your own inner life or emotional maturity, this is a great place to start. So it's going to be Saturday, June 1st in Vancouver, Washington, just north of Portland. The early bird registration, which is, I think, $30 off, that's still available until the 29th of this month. So go get a ticket. I'll put a link in the show notes below, down below the YouTube video. Uh, You can find it on my website. Come to the event. I would love to meet you in person, and I am certain that this day will really be helpful for you. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about why we're here. How is abiding really possible? When we moved into our house, uh, the master bathroom had a problem. There was no good place to hang a towel. You gotta have that in a bathroom. Well, I can fix that, that's not a big deal. I found some cool looking towel hooks, I installed them right into the wall. I I used those uh, big sheetrock anchors. You You know the kind, they look like giant white fat screws with really big threads. You just screw them into the sheetrock and they provide a big anchor point for the screws for your hardware, for your picture frame or your towel hook or whatever it is you want on your wall. Now the anchors that I use were rated to support 30 pounds. I've never met a towel that weighed that much. Seemed fine. So a few years later, one of my kids jumped out of the shower, yanked the towel off the hook, and the whole thing came right out of the sheetrock. The whole thing, the towel hook, the sheetrock anchor, the screw, bits of sheetrock. There's now this big, ugly hole in the wall where the towel hook used to be. In a world where responsible adults gently place their towel on the towel hook, my solution was a good one. But that's not the world I live in. The anchor that I used wasn't strong enough to withstand the pressure of life with kids. I feel that profoundly. The world that we actually live in is more chaotic and confusing than I have ever experienced in my lifetime. Life seems to be yanking on us, pulling in every possible direction, stress from everywhere. And the anchors that we have depended on in the past to keep us steady, to keep us centered, they aren't holding us like they used to. Have you noticed this? Do you feel this feeling I'm describing? I mean, I'm watching people who very publicly wear the label Christian, and they're making choices that seem to me completely disconnected from the ethics of Jesus, sometimes in their relationships, sometimes in their business, even in their politics. 
It seems like some of us are drifting way off course. It seems like we need a stronger anchor. On any given day, the news and social media is so angry, so divisive, it's hard not to get dragged into the fight. I mean, you want to say something, you want to correct some misinformation. It just happened to me this last week. I, I didn't plan on it. I didn't mean to do it. And I found myself in an online argument with someone. It wasn't helpful to them. It wasn't helpful to me. It was terrible. See, all this propaganda that we're seeing constantly every day, it exerts this incredible pressure on us, this polarizing pressure, trying to drag our moral compass off center. Are you feeling that? With all this pressure, I think we need stronger anchors. So today we're starting a new series. It's going to go for, I don't know, four or five or six episodes of the podcast. And we're going to talk about an anchor. I want to offer you an anchor. Or maybe a better way to put it is I want to offer you a way that we can access the anchor so that we can hold fast in the middle of life that's yanking us in every direction. In the Gospel of John, there's this scene that's got what we're looking for. So Jesus and his disciples, they're back in Jerusalem just in time for the Passover feast. And the disciples don't realize what's up yet. They, they aren't aware that this is going to be the final visit. This is going to be the final confrontation. Jesus is going to get arrested, and in a couple of days, he's going to be killed. They're clueless about this. So Jesus and his disciples, they gather in this private room. We call it the upper room. And there Jesus gives what is probably his most important teaching. Now, this scene takes five whole chapters of John's gospel. It's that important, five chapters. One of the things that Jesus tells the disciples in this teaching is how they're going to stay connected to him in the future. See, up until this point in the story, staying connected to Jesus has been, honestly, trivially easy. You just followed him around. Like, there he is. He's walking down to the river. Let's walk down to the river with him. There he is. He's stopping to teach. Great. Let's stop and sit and listen. It's so, so incredibly easy. But after the resurrection, when Jesus isn't going to be around in the body anymore, following Jesus is not going to be that cut and dried. Following Jesus is going to require insight and interpretation and honestly a lot of trial and error. So how would the disciples stay connected to Jesus then? How would we? So Jesus tells them in John's gospel, in John chapter 15, Jesus says these words. You've heard them before, I'm sure. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me remain. Now, older Bible translations use the word abide. Remain, abide. Both words get the same point across. We are meant to stay, to rest, to live with an ongoing sense of rootedness, a sense of being home. And that home where we rest, where we remain, that home is Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian or you grew up in a church environment, a Christian home, and you've heard this sort of language a thousand times. Abide in Jesus. Jesus is the anchor. Hold fast to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Cling to Jesus. I get it. I know, I know all of those words. I've heard that answer too. But see, the problem lies with what those phrases actually mean. What on earth are we talking about? Is this suggesting that we just remind ourselves over and over mentally of the doctrines that we believe, like, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe He rose from the dead. Because I gotta say, 
believing a list of ideas about Jesus, it is not sufficient to anchor us in the middle of chaotic life. I know lots of people who believe all the right things about Jesus and their lives are a wreck. They have no sense of peace or centeredness. Is this just about constantly thinking about Jesus? Like every time that I start to feel worried or upset or afraid, I just consciously think Jesus-y thoughts, think about Jesus, think about heaven, think about God all day long? I mean, most of us don't have lives where we can just stop the train and spend hours every day meditating on Jesus and his goodness. We've got to pick up the kids at school and get the tires replaced and finish that project at work. So Jesus is the anchor, but just knowing that theologically, just agreeing with that as an intellectual idea, that doesn't really help us. And thinking about it from time to time, that doesn't help us either. So what do we do? How do we live with an ongoing connection to this anchor in a way that makes a tangible difference in our day-to-day lives? What does it mean to abide as a practice as a real lived experience. This is where things need to get practical. I mean, if this is going to be a real experience, like we're going to really experience abiding, then it has something to do with our thoughts. Not our beliefs exactly. I'm not talking about our intellectual agreement with doctrines. I'm talking about our thoughts, our conscious awareness. And if this is going to be an ongoing experience, something that lasts, something that we keep coming back to, something that really qualifies as remaining, staying put, then it's going to have to do with our habitual thoughts. Habitual thoughts, our mental habits. Now, this has been my experience. If we are going to have a real, recurring, grounding experience of abiding in Christ, we are going to have to change some of our mental habits. Now, I don't mean to sound confrontational, but I am certain this is true. At least it's been true for me. Let me tell you what I mean. You and I, we've spent a lifetime building certain mental habits. All those thoughts that we have in our mind, those aren't all thoughts we're consciously initiating. We're not calling them all up. Many of the thoughts that are bouncing around inside our head are not really in reaction to what's going on around us. Many of those thoughts are in reaction to mental habits. See, we have been cultivating, we've been practicing having thoughts like that over and over, uh, for some of us, over the span of years. And you already know this. Anything that we do over and over and over again, we get better at. It becomes easier. That's called practice. And we've been practicing having certain kinds of thoughts for our whole lives. Here's an example of what I mean. Some of us have built a mental habit of worry. Our minds are skilled at latching onto any possible concern that we can fret over. And we just keep turning that matter over and over in our mind like a a mental fidget spinner, just, just messing with it, just touching it over and over again. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, worrying from time to time like everybody does. I'm talking about living with persistent worry, ongoing worrying thoughts. It's almost like we somehow believe that by worrying, maybe we can keep bad things from happening. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not the only one who does this, right? Well, that's a mental habit. Here's another example. Maybe maybe worry isn't your deal. Well, some of us have built a mental habit of control, seeking control. And so all the time, every day, whatever circumstance we're in, our minds are spinning, looking for loose ends that need to be taken in hand. And if there's some aspect of our day or our situation that's outside of our control, we feel discomfort in our gut. 
And so our minds are just constantly planning and projecting, spinning gears. It's almost like we believe that if we can manage every detail, unexpected and painful things won't be able to sneak up on us. That's a mental habit. Now, all these mental habits, they're central to our experience of life. They shape us. Let me show you how this works. I'll use the example of the mental habit of worry, but what I'm going to lay out here applies to any mental habit. Whatever your deal is, this is how it works. So if, for example, we have the mental habit of worry, we find ourselves repeating over and over the same kinds of words and phrases and thoughts and even certain emotions. And we think that we're just reacting to all the worrying circumstances around us, but that's not entirely true. You see, we're running a script, a script that we've been editing and honing and practicing for years. And as we repeat those thoughts over and over, we get better at thinking those kinds of thoughts. They come more quickly to us. They come easier. The tone of our thoughts becomes more worried. And this emotional, mental tone of worry sort of shapes how we see the world around us. We become more likely to see the circumstances in our lives as worrying. We become skilled at noticing justifications, proof essentially, for why our worry is valid. Do you know what kind of experience I'm talking about? Now, if you're doing this, you might not realize that what I've just described is actually a spiritual practice. Here's an example of that. I didn't grow up Catholic, and so I wasn't around rosary beads as a spiritual practice, but I have some Catholic friends now, and what I'm describing about worry is very much like praying the rosary. Uh, what, what we're doing with this mental habit is we're kind of proceeding through our litany of worries. We're sort of touching each one, moving on to the next one, uh, and it can kind of become this never-ending loop of focusing our attention on the things that worry us. You know, sort of, oh gosh, the president, oh dear, the Congress, oh oh man, the election, oh dear, healthcare, oh geez, nuclear war, oh, oh goodness, am I wrecking my kids? Oh my gosh, I have to have that conversation with my spouse. And we just sort of touch on each of those over and over and it becomes this, this cycle of thoughts. Well, that progression is a litany, it's a ritual. And what we're doing essentially almost amounts to a kind of prayer. Only our attention isn't on God, our attention is on the things we're worried about. And as we go through this litany, what we're doing is we're choosing our mental focus. We are aligning our minds, our thoughts, and our hearts, our emotions. We're aligning those things with one particular view of reality. As we repeat these thoughts over and over, that mental habit is further shaping our minds and hearts because now we are more able to see the circumstances in our lives as worrying, and we're more capable of seeing all the justifications for why we worry. This iterative process is exactly the same with any mental habit. Worry, control, angry thoughts, self-justification, judgmentalism, blaming thoughts of worthlessness. I'm not talking about fleeting thoughts that we all have. You know, we all get worried for a moment or we think about a difficult circumstance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an ongoing, repeated habit of mind. And we all have habits like this. We've been building them for a lifetime. Now, you might be wondering at this point, why on earth does this have to do with abiding in Christ? Well, basically everything. The thoughts that occupy our minds are where our minds are resting. That's where we're focusing. That's our mental home base. So whether we like it or not, that's where we are abiding. And if the thoughts bouncing around in our head result from mental habits that we've built over time, 
then those mental habits are powerfully shaping our life. Not only that, not only that, but as spiritual people, those thoughts are shaping our experience of the world. As Christians, those thoughts are shaping our experience of Jesus. If our mental home base is fear and worry, then we're abiding in fear. If our mental home base is anger and irritation, then we're abiding in anger. If our mental home base is, is control and consistently planning to stay safe and in charge, then that's where we're abiding. Now stick with me a minute, okay? I'm not saying that fear or worry or regret are sinful. They're normal human experiences. I'm not saying that if you experience fear or worry, you don't have enough faith. I'm definitely not suggesting that all of a sudden now you need to legalistically force your mind to think about Jesus all day long, regardless of what's going on in your life. None of that. Here's what I'm saying. It's possible to believe in grace. It's possible to accept Jesus on a theological level, but not experience that grace in our minds and our hearts. I know it's possible because I lived that way for a long time. And as a pastor, I've seen this at work in so many people's lives. See, for many of us, maybe most of us, grace is not a part of our lived experience. We don't live with a sense of restfulness. We don't live as if our value has already been determined and we don't have to fight and scrape to earn our place. We don't live as if we are beloved. And because of that, when life yanks us in one direction or another, we don't have a strong anchor to keep us centered. Now, all this means that our thoughts and mental habits are profoundly important. But don't panic. This isn't about policing your thoughts or feeling bad whenever your thoughts wander away from God. That's not it at all. First, let's be clear. Your thoughts don't give you worth before God. Your thoughts are not why God loves you. Grace extends to us even when we are abiding in fear or worry or control or whatever mental habits we've built. There's nothing here that we need to accomplish in order to be holy or loved by God or saved, none of that. Our mental habits don't matter because they affect our standing with God. Our mental habits matter because they affect our experience of God's presence. Second, and this is really good news, mental habits can change. The mental habits that we have right now, we built those. We built them by practicing them over and over and over again, right? Whatever you do repeatedly, you get better at it, it becomes easier for you. We've been practicing our mental habits for a long time, most of us. But that means we can build new mental habits. Living with gratitude, that's a mental habit. Assuming the best of other people, that's a mental habit. In exactly the same way, listening for the Spirit's guidance, that's a mental habit. Being aware of God's presence, that's a mental habit. Abiding in Christ, is a mental habit. Well, that sets us up for the next step in this series. I'm going to share with you a specific practice that you can use to build a mental habit of abiding in Christ. It's a practice I've been using for almost two years now, and it's really made a significant difference for me. Now, that's enough for today. You can live a life that is truly abiding in Christ. This is not about simply believing certain doctrines or intellectual ideas. It's not about forcing your mind to think God thoughts all day long. It is about cultivating a new kind of mental habit, a habit where we can really anchor ourselves in Jesus. We'll talk more about that next time. May you have the clarity to see your mental habits for what they are and to invite the Spirit into them with you, to be with you, and to help you build new mental habits that allow you to live an abiding kind of life. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to talk about this episode with me or other people on this kind of journey, or you'd like to find some encouragement for growing in the ways we're talking about, consider joining me in the Apprenticeship Lab member community. This is a private online community that I facilitate. There's no drive-bys, there's no theological argumentation. It's just a group of people who want to uh, grow spiritually and help other people grow spiritually. And if you're on that journey, this might be a place for you. It's eight bucks a month, I'm present, we can talk, I can give you pastoral coaching. Uh, there's a series of daily uh, morning videos that you can use to get your day started right. There's uh, daily prompts for discussion, there's spiritual life Q&A, you get access to some online courses for spiritual growth that I've designed, a bunch of stuff that's helpful in your journey. And if you honestly just wanna support what I'm doing, uh, becoming a member of the Apprenticeship Lab member community, uh, that allows me to make more material like this. It covers the costs of creating this podcast and other things that I do. So joining the member community, it's a great way to do that. There's information in the show notes uh, in the links below the YouTube video as well. If you want more material like this, then subscribe to my email list. I email about twice a month. I include uh, links to a new blog post, a new podcast, other things that I want to share with you that I think will be of benefit in your spiritual journey. I won't spam you, I won't sell your information. It'll be just hearing from me a couple times a month. I already mentioned the uh, upcoming Untangled Heart Workshop at the beginning of the podcast. I want to touch on it again. It's coming up June 1st, the super early bird registration discount. I think that's $30 off. That ends on the 29th. So if you're in Oregon or Washington in the area of Portland or Vancouver, plan on coming to this workshop. You will find it incredibly helpful. Uh, get your tickets now. It's the cheapest they're going to be. I would love to meet you in person. I'd also be grateful if you would take a moment to rate or review this podcast on iTunes or Apple's new podcast app or in whatever podcast catcher you use. Those reviews help other people decide if this podcast is worth their time. If you've listened this long, then you think it's worth your time. So say that, share that with other people. That's helpful to me, it's helpful to them. And of course, you'll find the show notes for today's episode, including the scriptures I mentioned and all the links I talked about. Uh, they'll be at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW019. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.